Hello and welcome to Talk of Today, where we explore developments in science, technology and society, and what they could mean for the future. I'm your host, Sam Barton. Today's episode is on probably one of the most important topics of today and frankly isn't getting enough attention around the world, and that is uh, the plight of Julian Assange. Now, while many of us have a passing or cursory understanding of what he has been involved in uh, over the past 10 years, the implications of what is unfolding with regards to uh, his trial uh, in the US um, are very broad and profound. So joining me today in this conversation is Chimera Gamage, who has been fighting for Julian Assange um, through his work at Amnesty International. Chimera and I are actually friends, and he brought this up to me in a conversation uh, not too long ago uh, that he was working on this, and I said, well, let's jump on a podcast and talk about it. So this is our conversation. Um, it was live-streamed uh, a little over a week ago. I'm afraid I couldn't get this out until now, though the topic and the content is still very relevant, and I think it is worth checking out. I myself, I didn't have too much of an understanding of... Uh, what has been going on um, where Assange and WikiLeaks is concerned. I've had, uh, like most people, I'd say, uh, a decent understanding, but I didn't quite realize what the implications were. So I hope that uh, my conversation with Chimera, uh, if you are in a, or if you are or have been in a position similar to me, I hope that this conversation does shed some extra light and really uh, makes it apparent how important the plight of Julian Assange actually is, not just for himself, but for freedom of expression, for highlighting injustice around the world, and being able to do so free from uh, coercion, from the most powerful forces in the world. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please share it with whoever you think may get value out of it, rate it on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to see this on your YouTube uh, newsfeed, uh, please consider subscribing on YouTube as well. For updates uh, on the podcast, um, follow me on Twitter at Sam H. Barton. And as always, links to everything discussed in this podcast can be found on the show notes, which you can access either on your podcast player or on my website at samhbarton.com slash podcast. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Chimera Gamaj. In this relatively impromptu interview, I am joined by Chimera Gamaj, a human rights advocate at Amnesty International who has been instrumental in campaigning and lobbying for the Assange campaign globally. He has taken a complex and at times unpopular case and ensured it was being given the attention it deserves, based on the core principles of press freedom, freedom of expression, and the impact it has on us all, both now and in the future. Chimera is also the co-founder and CEO of Thinkers, a critical thinking Chrome extension and soon-to-come news app, which helps users consider context as they read in order to help them become better informed. Chimera, thank you very much for joining me. Sam, absolute pleasure, and thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to finally be here. Yeah, yeah. It's funny yeah. how this, this turned out. We don't need to get into it, but it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes <laughs> me happy. It makes me happy. Um, so, so before we get into the meat of it... Um, I would like you just to tell me a bit about uh, your background and what yeah. Amnesty International does. 
Sure. Yeah. In terms of my background, I've um, I've always been um, quite passionate about human rights and 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 you know fighting injustice uh, for different people around the world. It, my background actually started in a small country town called Armadale, uh, which is which is in regional New South Wales here in Australia, um, a, a, quite a small town. And uh, yeah, we had some good influences from my father and the diverse town uh, that it was. But I, I know that human rights was always drilled in, you know, quite uh, quite early on in um, in my upbringing. So it did influence um, uh, the the career decisions I, I chose, and I decided to study international law at uni. Uh, for postgrad, I've done some sort of youth work on the ground uh, back in Armadale as well. Um, but I suppose um, you know, joining Amnesty about three and a half years ago for me was a massive uh, turning point, as it was a bit of a full circle from my experience and uh, and interests. Uh, you know, coming together uh, at the largest human rights organisation in the world, which was which was quite appropriate and, and a great opportunity, which I'm really grateful for. Um, you know, joining Amnesty, there were so many issues uh, that I was quite passionate about. They ranged from, you know, um, uh, refugees, both Manus and Nauru here in Australia, uh, the Rohingyas, um, you know, in Myanmar, uh, and and certainly, uh, yeah, the, the um, case of Julian Assange. Uh, and a big reason for that, uh, for me, was the importance of um, information and the role that it plays in our perception uh, our actions each and every day and the way that we see the world, which I think is one of the most foundational, you know, aspects of, of who we are and what makes up our society, particularly in an online world. So I kind of um, took that took that case, I suppose, and campaign and ran with it uh, internally. Um, and, uh, and, and as I mentioned, as, as the largest organisation fighting for this, Amnesty works um, and operates in about 150 countries around the world. So there's a lot of interconnectedness not not just in Australia and the issues we work on, but we are able to influence, um, you know, and stand up and impact issues that also, you know, relate to people in America, you know, the global south, wherever it may be. And I think that was one of the most appealing things for me to know that there is a knock-on effect from small actions. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people say, uh, but it's something that I've seen firsthand now on so many occasions that I can't help but repeat it whenever I, you know, talk to someone and they say, oh, what's the point? What's the point of doing this little action or signing a petition? So, yeah, it's a, it's obviously a unique um, and highly um, impactful organisation based on the values of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights from 1948, um, which are pretty much underpinned uh you know the the glue between nations from that time until now and and while it isn't a perfect system it's the best one i think we've had yet and that's that says a lot uh and also was played a big role in in sort of my choice to work at amnesty and sort of champion these 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 issues uh with everything everything i've got yeah it's one of the strongest memes like <laughs> this the notion of human rights you know it's like something that really dominates I guess our conscious these days, you know, just thinking like you, you usually hear people say, you know, depending on the context of the conversation, but mm. I have a human right to do this. Like it's not really the the case for, for lots of other things, but they've really kind of cemented themselves Absolutely. in the, the conscience of uh, the consciousness of, of, I guess, modern day people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really appreciative of, of that work. Um, so the Julian Assange and the, the, What's been going on over the past decade uh, mm. or so um, is quite a complex. Uh, it's quite a 
complex thing and absolutely a lot of people probably have varying degrees of um understanding of of the story of what's at yeah. stake uh so i think it would be good for us to just kind of do a to just go through it all yeah, um, yeah. you know not not, not in not in deep deep detail but okay. in enough detail so that people can uh find out what happened yeah um and what's happened since because of those actions and then what are the implications of the, the trials that have happened and the ones that are coming. So I guess to kick this off, um, how did the whole saga begin? Who is Julian Assange and what is WikiLeaks? Yeah, sounds good. So uh, as many people may know, Julian um, is an Australian citizen, first first and foremost. Uh, you know, he he started off i think early early days in his life and career being quite you know um interested in computers uh and what some might call uh hacking you know at, at that point as well and so certainly learnt um different aspects of um yeah of of uh engaging with powerful organizations um uh but from what i understand not going too far with that but certainly had the skills uh over time i think there was a, a sentiment that you know uh again is kind of grounded um the information sort of ecosystem that we all participate in now and that is that you know large mainstream organizations large institutions that are kind of the pillars of our society including governments you know academia uh, trusted bodies, whatever it may be, generally are the ones that push forward the, the narratives, the information uh, on what is going on in the world. Um, WikiLeaks uh, started um, uh, in the 2000s, and, and it was actually uh, Julian who, who put that together in order to, I think it was initially called leaks.org or leaks.com, but the intention was to, um, you know, promote whistleblowing uh, and ensure that uh, the, the true story was being shared to the public so it wasn't just a, a sort of narrow window of what's going on there's another consideration of uh of the story and and obviously that that posed a huge threat to to those institutions particularly governments now you know um i'm the first person to say that uh, the, the importance of government in our in our societies is incredibly important uh the system that, that we have uh at the moment as well is is uh again not perfect but um comes with a lot of positives and affords us the, the life that we are, are able to live uh, today. At the same time, accountability and, and eternal vigilance, as they say, is what holds democracy together. Uh, and again, if that if the information we're receiving uh, in, in making decisions, in casting our vote at the polling booths, are all based on the same sort of narrow window, maybe it's 30, 40% of what's actually happening, um, that's, that's going to create a pretty predictable, I would say, outcome for people who are voting. The conversations that happen, whilst we have these sort of, you know, debates uh, within, within these narrow windows, I feel as though there's a whole other smorgasbord of issues that we can discuss. So, uh, WikiLeaks, uh, in that spirit, I uh, wanted to, you know, uh, release as much information as possible uh, so that we could make up our minds ourselves. Now, obviously, with that comes some risks. There are the risks that, um, you know, you're putting other people's lives at danger, which is a common uh, sort of uh, statement put forward by, by people that do oppose WikiLeaks and Assange. None of that has been proven in a court of mm. law as yet. So I just wanted to, to discredit that uh, uh, initially. Just to jump in quickly, um, yeah. WikiLeaks, I guess uh, an important point to make is they mm. don't publish 
stories. They don't um, create a narrative with the information that they have at hand, but they just publish the documents that provided to them, right? So that this is what the US government's got, or this is what any other sort of institution, these are their documents. 100%. Here they are, make your own determinations. 100%. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. So I like to say it's straight from the horse's mouth, right? It's, mm. it's um, journalism is, is a fantastic uh, practice. And it's, you know, the, the fourth estate, it's incredibly important, um, you know, to, to ensure that democracy functions well, but there's individual biases, there's organizational biases, you know, there's um, uh, all, all sorts of aspects that can, um, you know, sway the message and, and the truth, let's say. Um, so with WikiLeaks, the benefit is it's all there. It's all right there for you to make your mind up. There's no this or that. Also want to mention that, you know, none of the information that's ever been released has ever been proven to be wrong. It's 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 never been, um, uh, uh, you know, proved to be a lie or falsified. So it really is uh, as true as it gets. And, you know, that could open up new other conversations about uh, the blockchain and how we can ensure that information is is correct, but that's probably for another episode. But um, we're at uh, the very end, you know. We'll, uh, we'll see how much yeah. time we got. We got a couple more hours, maybe. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the time, you know, that was the best sort of method, and and it was uh, new, and it was a new method, and and did work, but it did obviously rub, ruffle feathers. So, um, you know, with that in mind, um, the the most notable drops or leaks were in 2010 um and this is uh what the the current extradition trial and case generally refers back to uh which are the iraq war logs um in 2010 also in in the same year with the afghanistan uh war logs and in 2011 um you know there was uh so guantanamo bay was was 2010 but um actually a lot of those leaks did have some impact not just in our perception and how we saw the world but it had demonstrable effect on you know um people power and mobilization the arab springs were said to have been influenced by some of the leaks uh you know during that time uh in 2011 uh and obviously the the sort of uh lens that was put on america uh after the guantanamo bay leaks um were put forward you know changed the narrative and the psyche uh you know um uh, across across the globe in 2010 with the with the war logs collateral murder was actually the um the the most interesting video and i think while it was quite graphic it uh you know it really highlighted the nature of war uh, obviously as, as we understand you know there there are there are rules uh in war that are that are that are broken you know quite often but this was perfect evidence of what US soldiers were doing in the name of US citizens and in the name of what they were supposedly fighting for. And in that video, they actually gunned down civilians who are Reuters journalists who were absolutely, uh, you know, collateral damage as far as they were concerned. There was laughter, there was, you know, it was sort of, it went forward as a bit of a game. So um, that was quite, quite shocking, but uh, really was the pinpoint for um, the extent of what WikiLeaks could could reveal, and also the embarrassment for the U.S. government of of what the world could then see they were doing without their subversion uh, of information. So, yeah, and you said collateral murder. Is that that sounds like an oxymoron for some reason? You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't fit. Uh, so he released those. So I two points. One is. Was WikiLeaks registered in the US or is it a registered organization? 
Um, I believe, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um, okay. I know that he was operating in Australia for some time uh, and in London, but I mm -hmm. think one of the biggest um, sort of questions here, and and the the main thing to be worried about in this circumstance is what precedent this sets when you've got somebody who's an Australian citizen based in Australia doing some of this work, even in London doing some of this work or, or in the UK in general, and you've got a third party such as America who can overreach, pluck that person, you know, through 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 charges, subvert international law on, on a number of counts, uh, and then put them on trial for, for um, you know, really... In their own country. It's yeah. like... Exactly. Yeah, it's like us picking some guy up from Sweden, being like, "We don't like what you're doing. Come on over here, and we're going to put you behind bars." Hundred percent. Okay. And and, and so, I think, yeah, and yeah. just to finish Go that ahead. point, just to finish that point, I think it's good to kind of follow that thread as to where that can lead if if this is to continue, because you know, um, if 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 uh, you know uh, Saudi Arabia or China were to do the same thing, uh, you know, you can absolutely do, um, you know. Uh, so the outcome can be quite similar. You can pluck somebody else from Brazil. You can pluck somebody else from London just for sort of speaking against your country or releasing something that was in the public's right to know and, and you wouldn't be protected. So it is a bit of a pivotal um, crossroads and turning point, I feel, this case um, and, and echoed by a lot of people. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, obviously, um, you know, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of years have led to this moment, and that's what we're fighting for more than anything is to make people aware of how this can actually impact them as individuals. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll get into we'll dive deeper into that towards the end of this. So he releases the WikiLeaks releases these um, documents. Uh, there is a lot of outcry, embarrassment uh, on the part of the on behalf of the U.S. government. What happens then? Sorry, sorry. Could you just repeat the last part? Yeah. So, yeah. What happens? Like, what happened after that? Um, these documents released. There was public outcry. Yeah, um, yeah. What were? How did he come to be detained? Yeah. Maybe so, not the specifics, but you know the locations <laughs> and yeah. Like, what, what what's the chain of events here? Hundred percent. So, um, you know, during that time, um, there was. Uh, there were some allegations that were put forward against Julian during his time in Sweden, um, you know, which which obviously made some some headlines, um, you know, and 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 also started to reshape the narrative of, of who Julian Assange was and how he was defined in the in, in the public media. So a lot of the other aspects of what WikiLeaks had done, etc., were kind of um, not not as front and center as as let's say the the allegations. Now they were quite complex. Um, them, themselves and without going into it in too much detail, uh, that that sort of um, case uh, led to the to the US wanting to basically extradite him back to um, America and uh, and make sure that um, you know he he was sort of held accountable for that and that process went through the the legal process itself. Um, you know, uh, it was it was a complex time uh, as there wasn't. First of all, the statute of limitations ran out after some time and there wasn't evidence put forward uh, that was sufficient in, in the judge's eyes. Um, at the same time, um, you know, Assange then had basically laid out the roadmap of what he thought would take place or transpire over the coming uh, period of time, which is pretty much exactly how, the, how, the, how it's gone so far. He suspected, you know, um, the US would do whatever, whatever they could to try and 
to find a way to extradite him back. Um, and and so he therefore was quite, um, you know, while he was as cooperative as he could be and willing to um, go online and answer any questions and, and go through that process, he was obviously risk averse to show himself, um, you know, uh, uh, in London and, and sort of, um, uh, you know, allow himself to be... Um, easily taken in by the US. So at that time, he was considered a, a refugee and was seeking asylum. Um, he actually then um, was taken up by Ecuador, the Ecuadorial uh, embassy. I believe Carrera was the president at the time. It was 2012. Um, and he was quite favorable to Assange and his plight. Actually, at that time, uh, there was quite a lot of, um, there was quite a lot of um, uh, countries that were vying to provide asylum to Assange. So it wasn't just Ecuador. It was quite a common understanding that he was a political prisoner, that he was being persecuted um, and sort of chased after, right? Um, so so Ecuador uh, took him in um, and he was granted asylum there for, for roughly seven years. During that time, um, you know, he, um, he did... Con We're talking like seven years in an embassy. Yeah. Uh, not able to leave because if he was to... Leave, he could have been picked up by the the British police force and then taken away. So seven years in what I can imagine to be quite a cramped, not not a very nice building. Yeah. Um, just a, a prisoner, really. Absolutely. And and you know, during that time as well, uh it, it wasn't the easiest stay or uh, you know, the most um normal or comfortable stay that as as you would imagine, there was actually quite quite some evidence of spying. During that time, um, I believe that when uh, you know when he was uh, you know uh, given up, I would say by the Ecuadorian government in 2019 and taken into Belmarsh Prison, it was a different president at that time. Um, I remember reading then that the yeah. president that came in, like the president that came in afterwards. Yes. I mean, I'm just I'm just remembering things that came in that I read in 2019, so I could be completely off, but <laughs> I think he was a lot more aligned or sympathetic to the US and I think he had some I th maybe that his rise to presidency might have been involved you know I I don't really know but I I remember him getting in and then shortly afterwards they're like yeah. all right Assange see you later you've overstayed your welcome yep pretty much um it didn't take long and you know the some of the stories that are, that are given and again it, it's all about how it's painted right is that he was a bit of a troublesome guest during his stay um, that he had leaked, uh, funnily enough, information about the president uh, of Ecuador uh, and videos related to corruption. So he, he was continuing the sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the purpose of WikiLeaks, which was to, regardless of who you are, what side, it's not about partisanship once again. It's about, you know, what, what's, what's taking place. Is it breaking the law? It's the public's right to know. Um, so he was following that, and uh, with all that in mind, uh, the president did, did uh, I would say, give him up uh, to to London. Um, and the the sort of um, excuse, in a sense, was the bail was him skipping bail, right? So that was that based on based on that, they basically gave him up. And funnily enough, not long after, um, the IMF granted Ecuador quite a nice lump sum loan in the in the i think around four to five billion uh, billion dollars so yeah it was an interesting time um and the, the previous president of ecuador was quite critical uh of that process you know and uh and so i think it, it does say a lot about how uh, diplom diplomacy can take 
place behind the scenes. But um, yeah, that process was obviously um, condemned by so many countries once again around the world. It was, again, playing out the process that was predicted early days when Assange was reluctant to go into, you know, uh, London courts uh, and sort of uh, discuss these issues face to face. So, um, yeah, that process obviously was um, um, was anticipated and it, and it is uh, kicked off, I guess, the last two years uh, of the trial uh, of more information coming coming about and, and a big ramp up from, you know, organisations like Amnesty and others around the world that wanted to um, do everything they can to to stop this extradition. So they kicked him out of they they let him go from uh, the embassy. He gets picked up by the the London police and he gets taken to what's it called Belmarsh. Is Belmarsh right? prison, yeah. And, and just a bit of context on Belmarsh as well. It's it's not uh, there's not that there is a light-hearted prison around, but it's certainly not the easiest one to be staying in. It's actually one um, save for for you know some of the, the highest end criminals, murderers, and, and some of the worst you know uh, uh, people around really. Um, and so Assange was thrown in there uh, in a in a small cell, um, which uh, you know again was was obviously quite a quite a big uh, gesture and was a message that was being sent to to a lot of other prospective journalists or publishers around the world about how they'd be treated if similar publishing was to take place. Um, there's no reason for him to be kept in a prison like that, a, a super high max prison. Um, and, and from what I understand, um, you know, and, and the UN actually verified this, the special, special rapporteur on torture, Niels Melser, who's been quite vocal in his support of um, releasing Assange and, and condemning his treatment, is that he actually was being psychologically tortured in Belmarsh, so the the environment, the conditions, you know, um, uh, his treatment um, and restrictions all amounted to psychological torture. So, and I don't think that gets enough uh, attention. No, either. I mean that's widely regarded as illegal, right? Like we, there's exactly against human rights. It's the it's, and that's it's, it's like the Guantanamo Bay thing, you know, the stuff he yeah. released. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh, yeah. There's there's no grounds for it. Obviously, um, those those reports were not just were, were done with independent, um, you know, um, analysts as well who came in to, to gauge his psyche. So, as you can imagine, you know, anybody held in in a prison like that for quite some time, uh, it's obviously going to be detrimental to your psyche. Um, even physically, it's going to be quite detrimental. I believe it, it can get extremely cold. In there, and he was refused, you know, jumpers, and uh, uh, and there was no heating. So it's obviously quite a um, concerted process. Um, and talking to, um, you know, Stella, his his partner, uh, she she was echoing actually the uh, the treatment and 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 how bad the conditions were. So um, it, it's actually gotten to a point where it's um, you know it's kind of going by day by day, just trying to survive, um, and and doing everything you can using you know your your will uh and perseverance to to kind of not give up and that's why it's more important now than ever that the trial doesn't go forward uh that the extradition doesn't happen and the charges are dropped because as every day goes on it's already now been over two years the likelihood of you know that, that health getting far worse is just increasing over and over so yeah i guess i'm um, i'm just trying to understand i mean i guess if he dies then mm. they've got less to worry about 
and is this kind this seems kind of sadistic right. you know to put someone through this for doing something which he by yeah. i think most people would think he has every right to do and we are all better off for it yes. um this treatment does not strike me as i mean if we were to just replace america with china as the country that was perpetrating this imagine how people would be reacting oh, absolutely right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny. Again, it's funny how that, um, yeah, how, how it can play into a, a narrative of a country or the good guys or the bad guys. So, mm. um, you know, you, you would think that that would be the best outcome. Uh, it would be like, let's remove the problem. Uh, but I do think that it would just be too overt and there would just be, now that there's enough spotlight on, you know, Assange, his treatment, what he represents, for a lot of people, you know, it's not about, um, Julian himself. It's about what he represents, uh, the direction the world will go in if if he is to be charged. And and I think America is very aware of that. I think China has actually leveraged that as as a great um, sort of you know left jab against them. Uh, they they always talk about you know you you can't really condemn us when you have a journalist held right now in Belmarsh for for so long. What about the Assange situation? So. Um, yeah, I think it would just be far too overt. I think uh, it's it's a slow burn, clear message over many years to to others, uh, and it and it is a, a bit of payback, you know, in a sense. Um, when you look at the the way that you know um, people like Pompeo, uh, uh, people in the CIA have spoken about Julian, you know, Hillary Clinton herself, um, you know, uh, you know, even Trump himself, people from all sides, uh, but at high levels in government, it, it's always with quite a bit of disdain. There's comments about why don't we drone the guy? I think, uh, you know, uh, only a few weeks ago, there was actually um, uh, evidence re revealed and released that the CIA was plotting to assassinate Assange in 2017 while he was in the embassy, Ecuadorial embassy. And some of the wording there was, you know, nothing's off the table. Uh, you know, do what do what you need to do creatively to, to figure out how to solve this problem. So, you know, it's... it's um, yeah, it's it's what a lot of people suspect, I would say. I think most people aren't stupid. They know that this is probably what goes on at certain levels. Um, but it's, you know, Jeffrey Epstein. There you go, J E, right? So yeah. and and you know, not to draw parallels, but um, you know, we, we really hope that there's no scenarios like that. And yeah, yeah, it's um it's to to highlight the the significance again, it's it represents freedom of speech. It represents freedom of expression. It represents freedom of media uh, and the press, right? Um, and and I think uh, he really is the pivotal um, case and example for for all of those different freedoms um, that we've held so dearly for so long, and and the trajectory in which all of that can change if he is to be extradited. Um, and it's absolutely yeah. wild that yeah. a man I don't he's probably stepped foot in the US. I don't know, but an Australian guy who's done something to piss off a government can just, because it's the, yeah, or it was the global hegemon, you know, like the big superpower that could basically do what it wants. Um, they can just say, right, bring this guy over here. We are going to charge him for whatever. Um, yes. Cause we don't like what he's done and we're going to put him behind bars for, I think, what is it? 175 years. That's the maximum I mean, penalty he could get. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. So yeah. It's, you know, obviously, obviously more than a death sentence. And uh, and that's the first time, just to highlight as well, that the Espionage Act 
has actually been used against a journalist in the 102 years that it's that it's been around. Um, and he is on trial for about 17, I believe, charges under that act. So I know that you might not be too deep in, in the weeds with regards to the law here, but sure, sure. he's publishing stuff that's been given to him. Correct. Right? Like that's what he's been doing. He Absolutely. hasn't been hacking. He's not, you know, doesn't have his anonymous mask on, you know, yeah. sitting there at 3 a.m. Okay. hacking into servers. He's someone's whistleblowers have given him info and then yeah. he's hit publish. And he has, so a lot of the criticisms that have been um, aimed mm-hmm. or, you know, thrown at him have been around the fact that the information in those documents could have endangered people, right? But I, I think before we, when we spoke about this, you said yeah. that he did try to expunge yeah. some names from these documents there were just so many and yeah there's like a balancing act right a hundred percent it actually was uh there's a specific example with uh uh, lawyer mark davis um who was working with with julian quite closely and uh, the example he gave i think he had video footage as well of of them staying up till about 4 a.m 5 a.m in the morning uh you know um with with information that was provided to them by a third party so once again it wasn't hacked it was provided as is the case with any journalist, you know, they receive a tip, they receive a source, they go, cool, hit me up, what have we got? Uh, they do their due diligence on the work and then they release it. Um, you know, in, in that instance, um, I believe there were a number of names that were compromised. I believe there was, um, it was a government leak as well. Um, in the video, uh, Assange calls the government, a government contact, he calls, um, you know, uh, the Guardian, to ensure that there's a collaborative process before this is published. As we know, that actually takes place with a lot of the big organisations and government already where they actually call to, to ask what they're, what they're okay to publish, not just legally, but just to make sure that things are okay. A lot of the time to kind of keep that lane, um, you know, and keep the, the sort of, um, I guess, middle ground when you receive information about a story and not to um, tread on people's toes too much. Some journalists may call the governments themselves through their contacts to make sure that they're not going too far with it. So that again, we're getting about you know half of what the actual story is. So with Assange, that was one of the processes. But um, yeah, but Mark Davis confirmed that he was actually up far more than most journalists would be in that instance, uh, and retracting as many names as possible uh, before they before it was just not feasible, and and they sort of published it. So yeah. Okay, so what's been happening? So post Belmarsh, or is he still yeah. in Belmarsh? Like, he's, what, what's been going? On? Yeah, he's still in Belmarsh now. So, um, so we're coming up to you know over two years uh, of him being in, in that prison and in that state, um, what some have called solitary confinement uh, as well. And uh, during that time, there's been a, a number of hearings on on his extradition that's taken place um, in, in London. Uh, the, the nature of those hearings, those trials have also been quite interesting. I think, you know, we can pick, there's a lot of, uh, let's say, dodgy aspects that have taken place all along this process, whether it's spying in the embassy, whether it's, you know, spying and bugging of him and his lawyers consulting during that time, whether it's, you know, um, from Amnesty's point of view, uh, you know, the inability to observe one of his hearings uh, the morning of after getting being granted access and it being retracted as people were arriving 
amongst many other NGOs that were trying to observe the trial, which is, you know, obviously part of the independent fair, fair trial process uh, is to have these third parties there. Um, he was held behind a glass, you know, uh, barrier as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's certainly been a bit of a heavy-handed process. There's been some questions about the judges as well, their connections and backgrounds um, and, and motives and their track record in, in how they prosecute. So um, he's gone through these these stages. Um, you know, early January was the was the biggest one uh, so far. A lot of people were, were hoping that there might be a pardon, whether it was from Biden uh, or Trump at that time. Uh, I think Trump Trump specifically at that specific time. Uh, but obviously, none of those things none of those things happened. And uh, in fact, Biden and and the DOJ have been even more assertive in in ensuring that the trial takes place. A lot of their responses are pretty vague. They they kind of um, tiptoe around uh, any any judgment. The answer is generally we'll let the the process of law take place. So um, what actually happened was this yeah. is like against the law. Like against international law, right? Like, like yeah. what what's going on is not doesn't follow the rules that they claim to be pointing towards. Yeah, th- there's actually to. correct. There's a num- well, there's a number of you know um, contentious points there, and there's there's one more one more thing I'll just finish up is that in January. Um, that was one, the lead up to one of the biggest or most pivotal moments because it was it was basically deciding if he would be extradited or not. Uh, the judge actually ruled that he couldn't be extradited um, and it was purely based on uh, uh, risk to his health grounds. So there was no acknowledgement of, you know, um, again, freedom freedom of speech, freedom of press, uh, a lot of the, the points that most of the people campaigning for this were talking about. It was simply... And points that are very, very in the minds of the people today, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of the most topical, you know, uh, points that the people converse about these days and um and again this is this represents it perfectly um and i would just implore people to kind of look past the um you know different character aspects or fringe aspects of this overall case and just focus on the principles uh and and his health right um as as ultimately that's what it comes down to and they're the points that actually do impact us as part of a democracy as a nation and as part of global citizens and international law protections um but yeah as i mentioned he was ruled um it was ruled that he couldn't be extradited purely because he may be able to harm himself if he was to be sent to the u.s um and wise enough to harm himself if need be there wasn't um uh, there was a level of doubt about his treatment in, in, in uh, you know, prison over in the US as well. So the US actually appealed. There was an opportunity to drop the charges after that, but no, they came back twice as hard. Um, they decided to appeal uh, that premise itself, which they actually were granted the right to, um, which is where we find ourselves uh, two days before the beginning of this final verdict, which is whether he will be extradited or not. A couple more things to quickly point out that have happened in, in recent times, which factor into this this overall, um, uh, you know, uh, aspect. But there was a major witness, which was a big part of the US case, um, who, who had said to a um, worked with Julian in the past at WikiLeaks, 
um, and actually acquired or actually had been asked to hack information by him. That was a big part of the, the case the US was putting forward, right? Uh, in, in the last few months, it was actually proven that he had lied about all of that. Um, and he had admitted it himself. He'd actually said that he was he was granted immunity from his previous uh, crimes as somebody who had done all sorts of really horrendous, you know, crimes in the past. Um, and he was working with them in order to be granted immunity. And he was willing to sort of go on the stand and talk about uh so, like, just to make yeah. make this clear, yeah, there's this guy with a criminal record. He's yeah. a dodgy bastard, and the government's like, right, we will, you know, wipe your record if you lie about SP about working with um, Assange and saying that you were hacking stuff. So if Correct. you do that, we'll wipe it. And then that came out recently, and that's all. That's all gone. And, and that's kind of blown over. I don't think it was in any major newspaper as well. I think it was pretty, you know, alternative news and you had to dig to find the information. The, the only thing is that, you know, we, we're not sure if he was obviously told to, to told to lie, but the, there was a deal where if he was to push a certain narrative, which he then later said was a lie, you know, in, in exchange for diplomatic immunity or for immunity from his previous crimes, you know, he'd be fine. And during that time, he was actually still committing crimes, which is the most fascinating thing. So that kind of cracked a massive hole open. A lot of people, you know, his lawyers, like you know, Jen Robinson, um, yeah, Kristen uh, Ramson from the from WikiLeaks, the head of WikiLeaks, mentioned, mentioned this, um, Noam Chomsky, a lot of people that are connected to this were all pushing, pushing this aspect of the case forward so that people could realize the nature of the of the process and why there were why there were massive cracks and gaps in this in in the justice process, right? Yeah, and I guess one more point to make clear is if so, I I guess before we do that, mm -hmm. um, what's happening this week? Like, what are week. where are we at? Yeah, so twenty uh, seventh and the twenty eighth of October is other two days, um, you know, of, of the hearing. Um, basically, um, it is going to be a decision on on whether he'll be extradited or not. Um, the, the important thing to, to understand here uh, is that regardless of the decision, it can still be appealed. Um, so whether it's a yes, whether it's a no, either party can still go through that process. So, you know, as I mentioned, that just delays things again for at least, let's say, a year, year and a half, which all works against, um, so you know, his health and, and yeah, his, yeah, his ability to survive. So um, it, it still is a symbolic decision because if it is voted, if it is, you know, um, ruled that he can be extradited, that is still on the record. That's a huge signal to the world, uh, again, to publishers who are thinking about publishing information that is true, that is really important for us to know before we make any decisions, before we vote. And they might go, you know what? I don't think I can do it. I just don't want to risk it. I don't want that kind of heat. I don't want to be treated the same. And it doesn't matter sure where in the world you are. Does not matter. You can get exactly. like they can come for you. They can come for you. They can come for you. Yeah. And and you know th this is a different landscape that we all live in and operate in now. This is an online world. Most I think I saw a stat that in the US people spend about twelve to thirteen hours of their day on their phones on you know looking at media as well. So. Um, you know, as as we are more and more connected online, um, precedents like this are just not the right example to set to to a society that is 
defined by the informational inputs that they take in. Um, and regardless of what you think about Julian as, a, as an individual, regardless of your perspectives on, you know, certain aspects of, of, of the case, the trial, whatever it may be, um, it does all come back to, to those basic human right principles that we all actually have to ensure, you know, are held together and not just trust that they will be. And that's what this, this case represents. So. Mm. And this fits into conversations that you and I have had numerous yeah. times over the past couple of months. You know, I work at Idea Market. Yeah. We're trying to, you know, the we want to be the literal marketplace um, for ideas, you know, mm. trying to take away the 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 ability for mainstream media and these institutions to be arbiters of credibility. We want to like create a decentralized mechanism to make that happen. Yeah, and you so. with thinkers and yeah. you know, you're you're bang on with like we are the products of the information. We are the products of our information environments. We like yeah. our values, the decisions mm -hmm. that we make are all a product of the information that we're exposed to. And yeah. um, the if that if there are people controlling the information, like yeah. if people are controlling what we are exposed to, they are controlling what values we hold, what decisions we make, um, yeah. what we what we talk about. Like it's not even about it. And, and this is something that we've seen. Um, more recently over the past year, mm. uh, particularly with UFOs. Like people have been talking about UFOs for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Like I've seen things. I've I've seen things, man. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too bad. It was just orbs in the sky. Yeah. But um, exactly. actually, I actually covered that with um, Mike, the CEO of ID oh, Market, yeah. on the podcast that I do yeah, with him. But yeah, right. we've known about these things for a long time. But exactly. it's only when the corporate media starts talking about it or when the US yeah. government comes out with something that it becomes mainstream and then it becomes okay to speak about. Yeah. Um, so I, this it, control, like uh, the one thing I'd just say is, yeah, the structures that are built on falsehoods crumble, mm -hmm. and the same is true for our societies. Mm. And this is what we're talking about with the Assange case. Hundred percent. It's, it, you know, it can't be understated. Um, it can't be understated because just imagine what our viewpoints and perspectives would be on governments, on war, on on um, what goes on if these leaks didn't happen. Think about how blinded we would actually be. We'd just be going around, going about our days. You know, I 100% I, I understand as well that this issue may not be the first and foremost priority, banging people in the head each day when there's so many other things. And obviously everybody has a certain capacity of what, how many issues they can take on and campaign for at once, right? But the reiteration there again is that it, it underpins the quality of life you even have. It underpins the opportunity, the options that your children have if they're only operating within a certain sphere of understanding or knowledge, right? It underpins the human experience. It, you know, um, we are nothing but but uh, the information and the knowledge that we take in. So. Um, I think that it's it's such an important tenet and pillar that we all have to stand up and protect in whatever way we can. And as I said at the start, every little bit of action, uh, whether it's a conversation, whether it's just changing your, whether it's just giving new information a chance, you know, uh, whether it's signing a petition, whether it's writing to your MP, whether it's whatever it may be, all those all those little things add up, and it's actually a signal about who you are as a human and what what you represent and the life you want to live, which which automatically will have a, a knock on effect to other people. So, um, you know, I think we've connected on this as well on many times, but as we can see with Web three point 
the way that things are going, there's going to be more and more online interaction and signaling, let's say, of who we are, you know, who our tribe is, what we believe in, what, what um, you know, NFTs we have, you know, um, where, where, where we're um, sort of aligned to as a community. But I think without a principle like this, without defending all information, without defending accurate um uh information and 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 a comfortable space for people to push that to publish that whether it's whistleblowers or an individual we might come across information that's really important uh that we're unable to put forward you know if we don't have that we're just going to replicate the systems i suppose that have taken place for quite a while and and remain uh you know in the dark you know just seeing a, a portion or a shade of what what what's really taking place? Um, so yeah, just just to kind of reiterate and drill that home. I do have some faith in the recent developments in Web three, and well, not in recent developments, but what these what mm. the suite of technology means for publishing, among other things. But 100%. Um, these technologies make it possible or make it more easy for one to publish things anonymously. So yes. you know, the Julian Assange of tomorrow could be a guy with a cartoon profile picture and a, you know, a pseudonym and mm -hmm. no one knows who this person is, but the contents that they are publishing, like the, 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 the documents that they are publishing are yeah. verified as legitimate. Um, yeah. So I do have faith yeah. that I do have faith in these technologies. What I do not have faith in, especially mm. given this, um, you know the content, the context of our conversation. Julian Assange is mm. our governments and mm. them protecting our freedoms, freedoms which many of them uh, say are you know fundamental to to our societies, right? Particularly the U.S. freedom of speech. Oh. Find me a country who cares more about freedom of speech than, than the U.S. The US. They, they've got the sock, pop, sock uh. puppet over here while they've got the <laughs> silencer over here it's so true it's so true and and you know i think it's um yeah uh yeah i feel as though as we we see the um the global power structures start to change the global hegemony start to um you know i think we've heard this from balaji as well he's kind of described the the three main structures it's you know woke uh you know uh communist china and uh, uh crypto and these are the major three players that are now intersecting and 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 ascending that are going to shape the the you know the next however many decades so i think with what china is able to do based on their system and you know um and society that they've created and the us also trying to remain competitive um it's kind of like the enemy you know you'd rather you'd rather know what's in front of you than have someone go no no it's all about we're all about freedom but actually right mm -hmm. and that's what's harnessed once again by china against the us so i think there i i actually sense and and this was actually mentioned by um by stella morris recently too that there is certainly a trend towards authoritarianism and that's going to happen i mean i have my own views on why that's happening but I feel as though that it's certainly heading in that direction. Um, and this case actually concerns all of us because it is one of the most pivotal counter, you know, um, sort of uh, fights, I guess, against that trend. And if he is to be extradited, it'll it'll be, you know, 
that's on all of us. We all lose, you know? It's, yeah. it's only detrimental to everybody. So um, it's a bit of a wedge there. And I think it's um, people will look back, um, you know, in the history books and in the future and, and certainly look at people like Snowden and Assange and realise that, first of all, how important were the roles that they played? And secondly, can you believe that people didn't give it the time of day or that people weren't aware of the implications? Because mm. people back and connect the dots, it was so obvious. So I think yeah. if we're not fighting now, you know, when can you? It's got to be now. It's, it's got to be everything now. And if we don't fight now, the people who write those history books, maybe those who, uh, maybe the winners that we do not want and these details will not yeah. be in those history books. And we know who writes, we know, we know who writes history, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So what can people do now? Those listening, um, I know you've uh, recently written uh, or you or Amnesty International has put together a letter um, yeah. because we're in Australia, um, both in Sydney, actually. This is just a lot more uh, easier for us to do yeah. um, through video. Uh, so what can people listening who are firstly in Australia mm -hmm. do? Um, I think, you know, I think what there's, there's a combination of things that'll that'll be impactful and and hopefully add up. I think firstly, um, as, as you said, you know, from Amnesty's point of view, we've, we've created a direct sort of line to Scott Morrison and Maurice Payne, uh, and 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 written a letter uh, which was sent over today, um, asking them to intervene in this trial to call the US, and you know ask them to drop the charges because he's an Australian citizen because it's gone on for, for long enough because there was, you know, 120,000 Australians that signed Amnesty's 500,000 strong global petition to release Assange, that it's becoming an election issue, you know, that many Labor Party members are supporting it. Uh, we've got independents, we've got Greens, we've got people from all across the spectrum, whether you're left, right, Liberal, Labor, whatever you want to call it, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. You know, it's one of those cases that actually unites everybody rather than divides us, which is happening far too often in other areas. So um, so I think, um, you know, and, and that will actually be linked, um, you know, here. So one of the most powerful things people can do, and it always is, write to your local MP. Um, I've seen firsthand at Amnesty how impactful that can be in getting meetings with MPs, with put, having them put it on an agenda, with having them speak about it in public, you know, um, it's it's really hitting as close to home as possible when it comes to getting votes before an election, an upcoming election. So the timing's actually good for that. So um, if, if anyone listening in wants to work off the amnesty letter in terms of tone and content, certainly that call to action to ask Maurice Payne and Morrison to call the US and, tr and ask them to stop the trial on behalf of Australians uh, from a human rights perspective uh, and just, you know, generally speaking for an Aussie citizen, obviously, that'd be great. Secondly, um, um, I've got a link to the amnesty petition calling for his charges to be dropped as that as that keeps ticking along, that has more onus. Um, and, and I think, you know, obviously just speaking about it to people, um, diving into the information and researching it. I think the most, the biggest thing I learned was, um, you know, it's, it's so easy to kind of um, brush, brush the case aside because it's complex. Um, you know, um, one of my best friends was, was, uh, was actually diving into this information a few years ago and was feeding it to me being like, just make sure you look at this part. You know, you, 
I can't believe people are missing this. And I, and I used to read it and go, wow, like none of this is being covered. And it was just that com those conversations that while I did have some interest, it helped to spur mm. things along. And, and that's how much things can be impacted when you talk to people. So read the information about the case. There are plenty of nice little summaries and videos. There's actually a documentary coming out that his brother uh, put together. Um, and that'll be released in, in movies. I think it's going to be at the Ritz early November. Um, and I don't want to get the name wrong. It's a, it was a unique name, um, but uh, it's it's actually one of the, from what I understand, one of the best covered documentaries on on the truth of this of the situation. It actually follows his father uh, around the U.S. and and his brother uh, as they spoke to di at different cities in in America, uh, with a lot of other notable sort of supporters. Um, so you know, just 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 learning more about the case. Um, just not. Uh, underestimating how important it is, and finally, if you if you do want to take action directly, uh, you know, towards the US, there's actually a link where you can email the White House directly. Um, Scott Ludlam, um, who I did a talk with a few months ago, leveraged that tactic um, with, and it's, it was it's really quite easy that um, link to kind of fill it out. I'm based here. Here's here's my message. Submit it. Um, all these little things when they happen around the world do add up. Um, I've seen it with. Madison Nauru in Australia. I've seen it with individuals at risk around the world, um, and and you know, and and also large groups of people. So um, don't think that it won't have an impact. Yeah. And just uh, on one thing that you said, I guess towards the beginning of that, you said it is complex, but it the the details are complex. But what's yep. at stake is not. It's there's a guy who published. Uh, well, a guy, but a team, uh, WikiLeaks, yeah. who published documents that were leaked to them, and they were like this guy, you know, Julian Assange is not an Australian, and what's yeah. happening is a country is just reaching across the world and saying, we want this guy, yeah. we want to punish him for basically embarrassing us and for making our citizens and the rest of the world aware of our wrong wrongdoings, Correct. and that's what's at stake. It's if this trial goes ahead, if he gets. Um, whatever the term is, um, extradited. Yeah. extradited. Yep. Yep. If he gets extradited, then it affects, it can affect all of us. So absolutely. Absolutely. So it is complex, but it's at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. It's like, do you, are you, are you a citizen of your own country? You know, are we sovereign? That's it's yeah. kind of a question of sovereignty in a way. Um, it is. It is also another conversation. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I am all for weakening sovereignty, which yeah. I know we both know about uh, something that probably requires a bit more uh, of a of a discussion. But uh, yeah, well, so Chimera, um, where can people? Uh, I know you've spoken about some links. Where can people find out more? Where can people find out about what Amnesty's up to? How can people keep up to date with you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think first of all, if you're interested in the uh, the case, um, you know, it'd be worthwhile uh, looking at again those documentaries. One, uh, Passarelli is a, do a Spanish documentary maker who made also a fantastic one, um, which we can include in the links as as, as watching material. Um, go to WikiLeaks directly and just start reading the breakdown of leaks they've had from different organisations. You know. Um, yeah, companies, politicians, whatever it may be, and you, your mind will be blown, you know, as to how blatant a lot of the um, activity is. I think that the important thing there too is that it shows you how the world works, shows you how things get done, shows you how what the conversations are like behind closed doors and then the kind of guys you have in public, which is that things are all 
you know, A-OK, the bureaucracy is ticking along, etc. You know, um, it's just good to know. The more informed we all are as, as individuals, as a society, the better, full stop, right? The better, the more we can reach um, our heights as, as, as a race, as a humanity, um, the better we can um, understand where other people are coming from, we can understand um, systems and processes, and then we're more likely to actually build a compassionate, you know, and, and um, an empathetic society rather than one that just is siloed based on the information we get. So um, look at those documentaries, look at WikiLeaks. That's the information straight from the horse's mouth. Um, Amnesty has a number of uh, links on the website. If you just search Assange on, on the main website, there'll be a letter. Uh, you can find a letter that was sent to Morrison in, in January calling for him to intervene. This is a follow-up. Um, you can find uh, our petition and, and a bit more backstory. Um, and follow the, the awesome groups, the, the you know, the heart of activism, other, other groups that just plug along and they just, you know, uh, People for Assange, Don't Extradite Assange, all these sort of um, organisations are just there day in, day out, uh, that when they're coupled with an amnesty, with a, a notable person, an a celebrity, you know, um, an institution, a government, whatever it may be, they all come together and I just feel like they underpin it uh, with, with their, with their um, consistent messaging. So, so join them, look at them as well. Um, and, yeah, for me, you can um, look at follow me on Twitter um, and I will probably start writing a bit more on Medium over, over the near future. Um, oh, Mira. And, uh, yeah, always open to chat and, uh, and connect with people on this and anything else. And check out thinkers.io. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of critical thinking and context in, in media. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Nothing better. Yeah. Well, Chamira, thank you very much for taking the time today and for all the work you've done uh, on the Assange campaign over the years. Um, we're all better off for it. You're a good man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. And thanks for having me. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. All of the links to things discussed can be found in the show notes, which you can find either in your podcasting app or on my website at samhbarton.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes and anything else I've got going on, subscribe to my newsletter through my website, follow me on Twitter at samhbarton, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, where you can view all of the podcast episodes as well as the short clips from them. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with whoever you think might love it, and consider giving it a review on Apple Podcasts. I've committed to never running ads on this podcast, so if you enjoyed this chat in particular, consider contributing to my coffee fund at paypal.me slash talkoftoday.